welcome to Talk Film Society TFS The Season, where we talk about Christmas, holiday, or otherwise celebratory movies this holiday season. I am Zach Moore, and I'm joined by Mr. John Mills. What's up, John? Hey, hey, hey. I am so happy that we are going to be recording this specific episode because I really want to talk to you about the one you chose, and I can't wait to find out what you thought about the one I chose. Yes, so we're talking about 1970s Scrooge and 1992's The Muppet Christmas Carol. Yes. So we'll go in chronological order of release. Let's talk about 1970s Scrooge. Yes. First, John. Now, I think I might have seen this when I was in elementary school. And, you know, when you get to December, you should start watching movies, <laughs> you know, in some classes. And yes. I think they showed yes. me this because I distinctly remember the scene where he goes to hell. <laughs> and I was like, man, this is dark. Now, see, as, as, as a funny side note, this is the only version of Scrooge that I'm aware of where he actually goes to hell on screen. Yeah. And it is. And the thing is, even the nightmarish Jim Carrey mocap one doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. And that one is nightmarish and it's terrible. So I, I advise everybody to steer clear of that one. Uh, although I love pushing, you know, technological boundaries and stuff like that. The movie is not that good. No. Um, but. I like him going to hell for years. I watched a version of this that was taped off of television. And it, it, this was hands down my dad's favorite version of a Christmas Carol. And it's mine as well. Uh, spoilers. And uh, part of that undoubtedly is the emotional connection and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But whether it was because they cut it out of TV or my dad didn't uh, take the, uh, the, the pause button off quickly enough and keep in mind this is this is with a very early age vcr where our remote had two settings record and pause and it was Mm -hmm. connected by a long cord back to the 15 pound machine that sat there i mean this thing was a beast you could have killed somebody if you dropped it on them so you you guys edited out the commercials when you're recording Oh, darn straight. We were early. That's a dangerous game, John. That's a dangerous game, but I respect it. So (laughs) you gotta have a quick trigger finger. And my dad was my dad was magnificent, but for years Mm -hmm. I never saw that hell scene until way later when I got the DVD and I was like, Oh, I love this and I I finally have it on DVD and I'm watching it, I go, What the what what the hell is this? Literally uh, what the hell. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's always been such a delightful, delightful scene as a result, because I'm like, this is like a little uh, treasure that I got to discover after knowing the movie like the back of my hand for most of my life. Bob Marley reappears. This is the only version where he shows back up. By the way, uh, Alec Guinness as a ghost before Star Wars. That's right. For all the Star Wars fans out there, Ghost Obi-Wan is in in Scrooge. And to keep the Star Wars connections going, uh, we have two old Ian McGregor's. We have Albert Finney from Big Mm -hmm. Fish and Alec Guinness from Star Wars, both of which played by younger versions, Ian McGregor in later films. So those are those fun six degrees of whatever that I love talking about these kinds of movies. So So it's the Ian McGregor connected universe is what you're saying. There it is. The uh, EMCU. (laughs) (laughs) So I have no like nostalgia for this, John. I I can see how this is a very... Like, hey, this is the Christmas Carol. Everybody watch it, right? So it hits all the points. Oh, was this made for TV? 
It feels no. like it might have been. Okay. Oh no, <laughs> like, no as no offense to it. I'm just I just <laughs> As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, uh, Albert Finney won the Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Motion Picture, Comedy or Musical. Uh, And with the Golden Globes, it was also nominated for Best Motion Picture, Comedy or Musical and Best Screenplay. But we all know that the Golden Globes are uh, bought and paid for. So the ones that they bought and paid for were Best Original Score, actually, at the Golden Globes. They won that. And Best Original Song for Thank You Very Much which was undoubtedly a song that my father sang <laughs> endlessly every time I actually did something that I was supposed to do. He would go, thank you very much. That's a catchy tune. <laughs> it was nominated for uh, four Oscars, uh, Best Art Direction, mm. uh, Set Decoration, Best Costume Design, Best Original Song, and uh, Best Music uh, for Original Song Score. We mentioned it being a musical here, John, and this this is the first, not only is it the first musical version of A Christmas Carol, it's the first color version of A Christmas Carol, uh, because there have been famous versions before in black and white, like Alistair Sim? Alistair Sim, yes. That is another magnificent version yeah. of A Christmas Carol. That's, that's my dad's favorite version of A Christmas Carol. So, I, it, Listen, in, in case I haven't given myself away here, I adore a Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. It, it. I have seen so many different versions for years. I, I said I've seen every version of a Christmas Carol, and then I found out that there are all these like animated ones that I haven't seen and stuff like that. But I've seen every major release. But yes, the Alistair Sim one is magnificent. It's a wonderful adaptation. So, and and this one, it's it hits all the beats. It doesn't leave anything out, right? And I think, it, it you know maybe. Uh, moves a few pieces around, right? As all these versions mm-hmm. do, and that's what's so interesting about all the different versions, especially you know if you're going to watch two of them back to back, and the, the spirit of the double headers we're doing here, right? Uh, to see what they change, what they leave out, what they add, what they take away, what, what what order they change, what what form the ghosts take, right? Those are the things I I enjoy, like in every new interpretation, like and obviously the Christmas Carol is like a stage play, you know, back when we used to go to. <laughs> public theaters <laughs> yep. uh, we, yep. you know we have a production of it here in Houston where I live that that I, uh, I'll go every few years and they change it up intentionally and then you're always like okay hey what are the ghosts gonna look like right that's always a fun thing mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. this one to be honest not the biggest fan of the ghost of Christmas past she's an old lady I kind of like the more like fairy ethereal one you see in a lot of versions um, ghost of Christmas present is pretty standard like a big father Christmas guy I mean that's pretty standard in all the versions and then future this is the classic like Grim Reaper, he's a ske- literal skeleton. <laughs> yeah, the end of that fight. That I remember that shot distinctly from when I yeah. was younger. I was like, "Oh my god, that's that's a that's a jump scare for you." So, See, I I I honestly think that one of the things I like about the Ghost of Christmas Past is that she has a very, um, and I know this will sound sort of stereotypical, but she has a very British bearing about her. Mm-hmm. So I think she brings more weight to the role than a lot of other people have done. Uh, example uh, like Joel Gray in Patrick Stewart's yes. uh, version for TNT. I really can't stand that version that goes to Christmas past. He extinguishes him with a with a can with a yeah. candle putter outer, <laughs> which is which is what happens in the original story, uh-huh. but it doesn't stage well on screen. Mm-hmm. And and when they do it in that version, it's. Joel Gray just seems like he's like, okay, you're putting me out. And it's like, oh, that's why it doesn't play particularly mm-hmm. well. There, there should be some sort of, you know, struggle of the light against, uh, uh, you know, the, the cone putting it out or whatever. Right. But um, 
There is, uh, I, I think, a regal bearing that she brings. This is my favorite version of the Ghost of Christmas Present. And I think it's be- it. I have a weakness for musicals. That should blow the mind of anybody that knows me. But I love musicals. I adore them. When they're done well, Rent sucks. And with this one, it's done incredibly well. And the the song, I Like Life, the chemistry between Albert Finney and the actor playing the Ghost of Christmas Present is so infectious mm-hmm. that I love it. And he also gets to deliver what is arguably the best line in the movie where he's pointing at him and he says, you know, you'd better, you know, if you're going to live life, you'd better do it because one day you're not there anymore. And it really, the ghost of Christmas present can go, is supposed to go very sort of scary at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, he's supposed to lift up the robe. Right. My two Many children where that happens. Right. You know, and, but, ignorance but it's, and greed. That doesn't really happen here. No, but, it makes it an extremely personal moment where he says, you'd better start living your life in a good way. Otherwise you're going to, one day you're going to wake up. You can be like, Oh no, it's over. Mm-hmm. You know, get, get cracking. I don't know. I, I think that possibly part of my affection for it is the fact that it is a musical. I love well done musicals. And I think yeah. that the score and the songs in this are just unbelievably wonderful. It, I, it I absolutely does love them. feel it does feel like that you know, like the Doctor Doolittle or Hello Dolly or that kind of like that kind of tradition of, mm-hmm. of, of musical. And you know, I and I don't try to discredit when I was like, is this made for TV? Because the Patrick Stewart one was made for TV and it was very well done as well. So I'm like, oh, maybe in the mm-hmm. '70s there's a big, you know, that was their era of that version. But but no, it definitely. Uh, I I really did enjoy the music. It really did catch I me. Mean, like the whole thank you very much thing. The them bringing it back around at the end like really put a cap on it and that kind of made me be like oh you know what i do like this song and i like how it's like poetry it rhymes i like how they brought it back at the end right because it's the dark future everybody's happy with scrooge and he's dead and then in the good future everybody's happy with scrooge and he's going around being santa claus scrooge literally putting on a santa claus costume might be a little much but no hey, if, if you're <laughs> no <laughs> hey, look if you're if but if if you're with it at that point you're with it and you go with it so i mean he's literally become you know, Christmas. So it's a that's the it's just the only version that happens in where he puts on a Santa Claus costume. Only one that I know of. Okay. And I and the thing is, it's all worth it for the scene where he's in Bob Cratchit's house. Yeah, and, and the he beard. Says, you, you have no idea who I am, and he pulls the beard down, and Martha Cratchit like freaks out. It's like what? It's like he's gone mad. Um, yeah. And and the thing is, maybe it's the musical part or whatever, but there are two moments where every time I watch this film. I'll go ahead and cop to it. I know I'm a manly man. I know I'm a tough guy. I've got, I've got that machismo going on for me. I cry at mm. two points. I can't help it during this film. One is uh, when he sings his song, uh, you know, when he, when he has his transformation and he realizes, you know, I'm alive. And he's like, and he sings that song at the end and there's this changeover in the music and he says, you know, with a great, you know, when I was, uh, when I would be able to begin again and he runs around the place and he's tearing the mm-hmm. drapes down. Like I'm just reduced to a puddle of water. And then there's a scene later where tiny Tim is there and he's the only kid who hasn't that doesn't get the gift. present. And he's like, Oh, and I'm, and he's like, you know, bearing it like a soldier. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, Oh my God. And it, 
And then when Scrooge comes around and says, and this is for you, and you know it's the toy he wanted more than anything else. I just, this movie just hits every emotional cue. I just think it's beautiful. And you know, speaking on the emotional beats, I, I you know I think the scene where his fiance leaves him is might be the best version of that I've seen. Yeah. Um, because they're not like sitting in a park somewhere as often. I <laughs> like I see that in a lot mm-hmm. of versions. <laughs> they're just mm-hmm. like li- like the scene or the moment. I'm like, all right, this movie's got something, right? When she puts the the engagement ring on the scale with the two coins, I'm like, oh, I see what you did, movie. Well done, right? Because I haven't yep. seen that in other versions. That's literally the scales, right? And how one is heavier than the other. And I think that was a really well done visual storytelling of Scrooge and his fiance. And I got to give it to all, I haven't seen a version where this happens. And I, I'm very glad that they've never done this, but I'm waiting for some version one day <laughs> where at the end he becomes good and he finds old lady bell no right and oh, they reunite geez. you know what i'm saying though like i'm just waiting for some version to do that i'm like please don't do it. like every time i see a version i was like don't do it because yeah. there has to be some consequence like even though that's great that he's turned his life around it's gonna be great now he can't like you don't get to undo all the mistakes of your past right so you got to yeah. live with some of that stuff so. you don't get to be captain america and live your dream life afterward <laughs> and right. i think that there's also <laughs> a, a thing where i think the brilliance of it is that they cast albert finney to play an old man so that he could play his younger self because there are challenges with other versions of a Christmas Carol Mm -hmm. when it's not the same actor playing, uh, playing Scrooge at both age ranges. And I think that part of disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. But part of my disconnect, part of my bias with that stems from the fact that I grew up with this film. Mm-hmm. And so I expect that to be the case. And so like when Patrick Stewart plays Scrooge and he's already, you know, Captain Picard age, and then they have a younger actor sit in, I'm kind of like, eh, okay, this is a different guy. I was wondering, I'm like, wait, how old is Albert Finney? Mm-hmm. You don't really see the old Scrooge actor play the young Scrooge actor. They're usually not the same, these versions. And I'm like, Albert Finney, he only died a couple of years ago as of this recording. He, he can't have been mm-hmm. this old in the 70s or 1970. And then I realized, oh, I see what they did. A guy Pierce from Prometheus. I understand. <laughs> I saw what's going on here. And, and my father also, who was a big film buff, uh, you know, he also made a point to point out to me. And this is something where I think that th- this movie deserved at least nominations for makeup and stuff like that is he always pointed out to me in the beginning when Marley takes him on the tour of the ghosts floating over town and then he puts his his hands over his eyes. My father always pointed out, look at what they did with his nails and his fingers. They gave him little boils and pimples on his hands and his fingernails looked dirty. And my dad said, that's attention to detail because that's what a person's hands would have looked like back then. They wouldn't have looked pristine and manicured. And it always stuck with me, and it sort of bore out in this weird obsessive attention to detail for weird things like that in movies of did you pay attention to what their hands or their teeth or their eyes would have looked like back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you love it. I was won over by it over the course of the movie. I, I have a heart for musicals as well. And you know, the, these songs that kept coming, I was like, all right. All right, you got me, movie. So this is not going to be one I watch as often as some of my favorites, but it's definitely one worth revisiting, especially like for, you know, I love the Christmas Carol story as well. I'm I'm sure, you know, most people do, right? Yeah. It's a story of redemption and Christmas and all this great stuff. And definitely this is one is worth adding to your rotation. Excellent. I'm so happy to hear that. I really am. (laughs) So let's talk about my favorite version. 
Yes. Of a Christmas Carol now. 1992's The Muppet Christmas Carol. Yes. Now, I was the perfect age when I saw this, right? I mean, I was a young kid. This came out around that time. And this is one of those that you watch all the time when your kids. Christmas time. And talking about watching the original one at school. Like, this is the one they wheel out at school all the time. And I had it. Watched it over and over and over. Love the Muppets as a kid. The, the, the Muppets, they occupy this space in pop culture where it's like they can parody something, but also do it very sincerely. And that is that is what the Muppet Christmas Carol does. Like, you know, because they, they send up a lot of things. Like, they got Sam Eagle in there saying, it's the American way. And Gonzo's like, it's, 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 it's England. It's from Britain. He's like, oh, it's the British way. Right? There's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, that's obviously some fourth wall breaking. They have Gonzo be Charles Dickens, right? But that's yep. so clever because it, the because you have that fourth wall breaking, they can narrate through the movie. And that was part of the intention by Brian Henson. Um, because this is actually, the, this is the first Muppet movie after Jim Henson passed away just a couple years previously. So this yes. is a big mantle to take up from his son, Brian. And I think he did a great job. This is the first movie he directed. And uh, that's a really cool way to, to incorporate the literature, right? By still having, you know, it's the Muppets, right? And Michael Caine, man, I think he's my favorite Scrooge, right? I mean, he's really? so good. But I mean, the, he said when he took the role that he was not going to do any winks or nods or Muppet behavior. He was going to play this as if he was performing with the Royal Shakespeare Company. And Brian Hitson was like, exactly, that's what we want. And that's why I think it works. Because this guy, like, you could take him out of this version and put him in anything, and he would be perfect in whatever version of Christmas Carol you're watching. I love Michael Caine. And yep. uh, he's so good here. And it, it's hard to play that. You know, Scrooge is a hard character to play. You know, it, it's funny. Um, obviously, you know, there's Scrooge with Bill Murray, which, you know, was talked about in another episode uh, of our series here. And Bill Murray is one of those guys. He can play, like, a guy you don't like, and then you can buy the transformation into a guy you do like, like Groundhog Day. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. And mm-hmm. that's the same kind of deal, right? Um, you got Michael Caine. Like, he, he's a – all these Scrooges, right? It's like, ah, this guy's a jerk, right? Uh, but then you kind of buy, like, how he becomes good. Because there's some characters and actors and stuff out there, you, if they turn good, you'd be like, I don't buy that. <laughs> you know, I don't buy very them as true. both. Very, and you can true. buy them as both. And, um, yeah, I, I just love the, how earnest and straightforward the performance is with Michael Caine. Now, there there is a there is a deleted song from this movie called "When Love Is Gone," and it was in this uh, it was in the scene where his fiance leaves him, right? And they're in a park, as they often are, right? But uh, the studio decided uh, when they when they were making the movie, like this is too this is getting too serious and depressing, so we got to cut that out. Uh, mm. So that's why there's like an odd cut where she's like oh, you don't love me anymore, you used to. And, she, and then she walks off, and then everybody's crying and upset, and they move on. There's a scene there, like a song, that's a very powerful song. But there, this this is pretty heavy, even for kids, but I respect that, because I think this this movie is like perfect family entertainment, where it's like, yeah, there's there's some slapstick humor with the Muppets, right? But there's also, like, there's, they're telling the Christmas girl. They're not shying away from things here. Right, I, I I don't feel like they do. I mean, Tiny Tim dies at all the same thing. So I so to me that this hits all the beats of those '80s and '90s four quadrant family entertainment, and that's why it works so well for me. I almost wonder though, and this is pure conjecture on my part, is Disney is had bought the Muppets by this point, mm-hmm. and so they're you know they release this film, and so the studio cutting it would have been Disney. Right. I almost wonder because it is well known that uh, the the Henson Company and Disney have had a troubled relationship for a number of years. I almost wonder if them stepping in and, and saying we got to cut this, this might have been yeah might have been the flashpoint where they were like what 
no, this is our movie. This was know? back. Now, Brian Henson didn't want to cut it, but this is back in the Jeffrey Katzenberg days of Disney, and he's the oh, one that geez. made the call. So it, Katzenberg it, is well known <laughs> as being a jerk that right. cut a lot. Yeah, the, look up the history of the Black Cauldron if you want to find out about how meddling uh, Katzenberg could be at Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. I respect this movie. I love it because it's a Muppet movie. I'm a little bit older than you. Mm -hmm. And so I can, I saw this in the theater and I had a grudge about, not a grudge. It was, Jim Henson's death was still very fresh. Mm. And it was one of those things where, where the, the, the sense going into it was how can you have Kermit without Jim Henson? Like, and it wasn't fair and it doesn't make sense. And it's not logical in any way, but that adoration of the Muppets was so ingrained that it just felt you were, I I was coming from a place of pain, I guess, when it came to this, where Mm -hmm. the first time I saw it in the theater, I didn't care for it at all Mm. because I was still sad. I was still in mourning about Henson. He was, you know, I mean, you know, don't want to belabor the Henson thing, but I wonder at times whether some of the reaction to this movie is because when it came out, people were still hurting. Mm. They they were they weren't ready for a Muppets without Jim Henson sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the voice of Kermit, right? This is Steve Whitmire played Kermit in this. This is his first time as Kermit. He went on to play Kermit for you know decades after this. And the, the movie, it did okay, but it didn't do as well as, as you know, they might have hoped, but it was up against Home Alone 2. So that's some big, that's some big Christmas movie competition at the time. But It's still better than Home Alone 2, I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, mean, I, I mean, I was coming at it from a different place, obviously, because I'm like, you know, when you're a kid, you don't know all this behind-the-scenes stuff. I mean, I was still right. young enough where it's like, oh, it's Kermit. <laughs> I am not thinking about all the behind-the-scenes uh, things going on. But no, that that's a very valid point. I mean, the Muppets they for for you know what twenty five years at that point, you know the Muppet Show and all that they've been such a integral part of pop culture, and and, and Jim Henson was literally the heart and soul of all these characters. So um, I think keeping in the family with the son was a good move. But then of course you have the corporate overlords of Disney even back then <laughs> to win their thing. Yep. So. Yeah, and there are certain things, obviously, that that this one's a little rushed through because it is, you know, more of a family-slash-kids movie, right? We don't see... I mean, something I liked about Scrooge, for example, is him going around, like, you owe me this, you owe me that. You you see all that going Mm -hmm. on, and then that pays off the end where all the people who are happy he's dead or stealing his stuff, right? You know, you know who those people are. Now, something that is actually in The Muppet Christmas Carol that's not in Scrooge is the whole, like, selling off of his goods, like the right. cheats and all that. That's an interesting change. I don't know why they left it out of the other one, but it's here. And I, that's a powerful scene, I think. Well, well, that's a tough scene. That one doesn't... Oh, the, the It's Old Joe. And, and that's a scene where uh, there are different, you know, a lot of versions have it and there there are versions that don't because that is in and of itself a difficult scene to sort of process like it it, it is interesting the ones they include and the ones that they don't include having old joe be a spider was (laughs) maybe another reason i rejected it because i hate spiders (laughs) i despise them um but i did recognize it as a universal symbol of evil because all spiders are i agree but um yeah, no, I, I like the old Joe scene. I think the difficulty with the old Joe scene and the reason why, say, Scrooge in 1970 cuts it out is 
because there is a sense of when you're telling the story why wouldn't it be obvious to Scrooge who they're talking about at that moment? Spirit, spirit, I know why you're showing me this, is to not be this person, this poor man. <laughs> right, exactly. Those are your bed curtains. Those are your clothes. Those are your, yeah, you might notice one or two of those things. Um, so maybe that's why they cut it out. But I think it plays well here. There's an odd thing with this movie, I think, in that I don't adore it. But I will always come back and rewatch it, mm-hmm. and I think it's because I consider it. It's almost like a, a a gateway drug to other versions of a Christmas Carol. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like this is the version I'll show my little kid, and then when they're a little bit older, I'll be like, okay, you're ready for a musical version now. Mm-hmm. And then when they're really older, I like now you need to watch the Alastair Sim version where he completely screws Fezziwig out of his business. <laughs> and like, you know, so like there, there's sort of like degrees of a Christmas carol here. And this is on the lower, more accessible end for the younger audience. Mm-hmm. Fezziwig, Fuzzywig. Brilliant. Okay. Listen, you put, you put Fozzie the Bear in anything. I will just watch it. <laughs> just, you could have him... I want Fozzie the Bear in the next Mission Impossible movie because I love Fozzie the Bear. And there you go. Yeah. And, and, and you know, the music here is great too, right? The, the songs are so catchy, like One More Sleep Till Christmas and all that stuff. I mean, like uh, Paul Williams did the music, at least he did the songs. Uh, yeah. So Paul Williams from, of course, Battle for the Planet of the Apes. We know from him from John. So. <laughs> but, and uh, also from uh, Smokey and the Bandit. Mm, very good, very good. So, so yeah. you know, I, th- that's what's great. But I mean, the, these me- Christmas and music, right? I mean, they have this symbiotic relationship, and and I think that whenever you can hit both, like Muppet Christmas Carol here, it has this kind of this the orchestral score. And I, I'm uh, off the top of my head, I'm forgive me, I forget who who did that orchestral score, but like it sounds like Christmas carols, but then it turns into original music at the same time. So yes. That's a really cool way. It's like you're not just hearing, you're hearing all the familiar kind of like phrases of music and then it turns into something else. I think that's real clever too. But uh, yeah, no, I, I love Muppet Christmas Girl. And uh, I think Michael Caine does a great job and he anchors everything. And I love all the ghosts in it. I, the, the ghost of Christmas Past is kind of like, oh, I'm the lady of the water. Like that's what I'm looking for <laughs> with the ghost of Christmas See, Past, lady from the water. You're looking for ethereal lady in the water and I'm looking for a regal British lady, uh, you know, uh, guiding Scrooge through uh, right. the pain uh, sort of thing. Uh, but I do I do like the fact, I, I do think that Michael Caine is key to anything about this movie that works because the fact that he doesn't wink at the audience at any point. Not at because all. he does play it as that I am, a, you know, I'm playing it with the Royal Shakespeare Company. That is what makes this movie work at all. All because mm-hmm. the blending of live and Muppet people doesn't always work if you don't play it right. <laughs> right. It's a very delicate balance. It, it, it really, really is. <laughs> and if you, you can have the Muppets break the fourth wall all that you want to, but if the right. humans break the fourth wall, it all falls apart. Mm-hmm. Well, and then, yeah, and then especially humanoid Muppets, like the Ghost of Christmas Present, right? Like, it's like this mm-hmm. big Father Christmas guy, and and 
and all the versions, that's the one that like he really like makes the biggest impact, right? Because he's like really hesitant about the past and the future. He's, he's scared, but the present, like they actually become friends and stuff. He feels sad when he goes away, right? Um, yeah. And of course, like I was like, wait, are they gonna have the Muppet Ghost of Christmas Present do some horrific ending? But no. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> There's not children clutching to his legs under his robe in this version. But uh, I- come in and know me better, man. I find it interesting that the two of us are drawn to the versions of Scrooge that don't have that traumatic moment mm-hmm. about it. And I think it's it's not I know that on my on my part it's not because I reject that as valid. It's obviously a part of the original story. I think it's because it's so difficult to pull off on screen. Yeah. And if you're going to pull it off you got to go full on like uh, uh, the version with George C. Scott. Like Mm. that scene has got to play. Like you should be gobsmacked and horrified by what's happening. Mm -hmm. And that I think is really the difficult balance to, it's not even a balance, but that is the difficult uh, emotion to strike because the ghost of Christmas present is so, in general jolly and loving and open and embracing and then at the end he pulls this switcheroo that's like right. by the way here's nightmare fuel and it's like that is a tough one uh you know to 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 pull off yeah you can look at it in two ways right it's like he's transitioning you into the ghost of christmas future so that's like a good transition point right is that horror moment but at the, but at the same time it's like oh but that's not his role he's supposed to be the friendly one that kind of wins him over and unlike in scrooge where he's getting him drunk on the on the magic christmas milk or whatever <laughs> yeah the drink, milk of scrooge? human kindness yeah the milk of human yeah. kindness <laughs> Right. Yep. Uh, but then it's uh, of all the of all the different <laughs> things, right? Uh, you get the Ghost of Christmas feature, and he's all you, like nine times out of ten, he's always this grim reaper, silent kind of character with the hood and the pointing of the fingers, and that's very consistent. And that's just been—I mean, I guess that's been the signal of death for generations of humanity. So that's why he's always the guy from the future. Um, what What's really interesting about both these versions and a lot of other versions, though, is the fact that what's so miraculous is supposed to be the fact that Marley tells him the ghosts are going to appear midnight tonight, midnight tomorrow, and midnight the next night. And that's why when Scrooge comes out, that's why he's asking, what day is it? Mm. Right? But when it's one, two, three, there does become this weird kind of disconnect of, well, what? why would you think it's a different day oh, than the I one see. you woke up on? I see, yeah. But that that's the miracle of it, is it's supposed to be three different days. And when Scrooge wakes up and hears the the Of 12s, course they could do it in one night. Just like, exactly. <laughs> the spirits. Exactly. Every version, there's always some kid who's like, it's Christmas nice, ah! <laughs> like it's always exactly. the way. Oh man! But hey, you know if you're if you're gonna do a double bill of these, right? What, what would you call them? You call this the Shepperton Christmas Carols because both of these were filmed at Shepperton Studios, twenty two years apart. So there it is. We got our double bill, John. I'm on board. I think that completely works. I think that completely works. So let let, let me ask you one question though. You've got the double bill. This is our uh, Shepperton Christmas. Which one do you show first? Which one do you show second? Ooh, that's mm, that's a good point. You know, the chronological canonist person in me wants to do, <laughs> well, you have to go in chronological order. Because, but no, no, no. You, the gateway drug to the Christmas Carol is the great way to put it. You show them up at Christmas Carol first. That preps you for the story. And then we get Scrooge yep. to finish it off. That's the proper order of this double bill. Two musicals perfectly. I agree with you. That is the exact order they should be shown in. 
Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think I can watch a Christmas Carol that's not a musical at this point. I mean, it's so <laughs> the music gets so integral now to the story. <laughs> can, can I detour for about sixty seconds here yes, and tell you? Uh, there was one time I went to New York uh, with my friend Tara, and we met up with my friend Chris, and because he was living in Jersey City at the time, and we were waiting in line for uh, discount tickets, and I saw on a bus Frank Langella in a musical version of A Christmas Carol, and I was oh. like, oh. Guys, we got, come on. And they saw my face change. And they're like, all right, fine, we got to go to that. And we went in and it was awful. It was wow. absolutely terrible. And it was the version that later starred Kelsey Grammer on no. NBC. And it's an <laughs> awful adaptation. Do not watch it. So there oh, you go. Man. But the good thing is about the Christmas Carol is we have plenty of choices. So there's one yes, for indeed. everyone out there. Very- God bless them, everyone. God bless them, everyone. Well said. <laughs> here, here. So, so John, Merry Christmas, man. Always a pleasure podcasting with you. If people want to find you out there, where can they find you? Oh, look for Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. Uh, you can find me on KesselJunkie.com, sharing writings and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and you can also find me, Letterbox is more fun. Twitter is the drug I can't quit. And you can find me on The Nerd Party, uh, co-hosting a Star Wars podcast called Aggressive Negotiations that delves into some of the deeper philosophical and metaphorical sort of stuff instead of just the breaking news for Star Wars and everything like that. But, of course, Merry Christmas and and Happy New Year uh, to you, Zach. Where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-R-E-O-N-Z-C-H. I'm the host of my own podcast, Always Whole in a Smallville. We talk about each and every episode of the Young Superman show on Twitter at Always Smallville with one S. And I'm also a co-host of Franchise Fatigue. You can find us on Twitter at UFP Earth and at Franchise Fatigue, where me... My friend Brandon Shave Matella and a slew of guests, including yourself, John, yes. your regular guest over there, uh, yes. go through movie franchises, talk about sequels, reboots, remakes, and when franchises get fatigued. So there we go. Christmas Carol. Hope you guys uh, pick your favorite version and uh, get a chance to watch it over the Christmas holiday. And as Tiny Tim said, God bless us, everyone. Mm-hmm.